in a series called Heart Disease, and what we've been talking about is the fact that, you know, just like any other thing in our bodies, if it's left unchecked, or if there's a little problem that isn't dealt with, it becomes a big problem. And so, um, you know, you think about that if you get a little toothache and, you know, it, it hurts a little bit. And maybe when you drink something cold, you kind of get that, oh, man, and you keep, you leave it because you don't like to go to the dentist. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And then you decide, well, I'm just going to drink on this side or chew on this side or whatever. And so you avoid it, you avoid it, and then it ends up rotting and all your teeth fall out and you just have gums, okay? That's what happens when you don't get your teeth dealt with, but right? So, but we all have these types of things. Men are notorious for this. It's like, you know, I don't know, my, you know, my, my left arm tingles and I have chest pains, but it'll be fine, right? You know, I'm not going to go to the doctor. And, and we all know that when, when you start to see signs of something, we go to the physician to get it dealt with early so that it doesn't become something big. That's the whole idea behind this heart disease thing. As we begin to see matters of our heart that look unhealthy, we want to get them dealt with early. And so we've been t- we will be talking about things like um, bitterness and anger. And um, we talked about guilt last week. And we're, we're talking about anxiety today. And we'll be talking about fear and things like that. And so, so we want to get these dealt with early. I, I want to give you a... Um, uh, just kind of review. Uh, that's a little puppy. You, it's the wrong one. Yeah, you're on uh, guilt. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'll show you. So, but we were talking about is last week we were talking about guilt, and I don't know if you remember, but these are the red bricks that we had, and we we talked about two types of guilt. There's the guilt that we put on each other, uh, or that we put on ourselves, maybe for something we did a long time ago or for something that we wished we had done a long time ago, and we put this in kind of our, the backpack of our conscience, and we walk around with these things. And some of us have been walking around these for, uh, with these things for years and years and years. Maybe you didn't measure up to what your parents said you should or whatever, and so you've just been accepting these and putting them into your backpack. And, and we said that that's unhealthy, and that those things need to be gone. And so and, th- and then we went uh, over here, thank you, uh, over here to uh, th- these green bricks is actually good guilt. And uh, as Nate put up uh, in behind us here, the godly sorrow, the green conviction that the Holy Spirit brings, okay, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret in other words, when the, the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, it's to lead us to repentance, to go, Lord, I, that, I know that those things are not healthy. I return from those things. But worldly sorrow brings forth death, those things that we just kind of allow to stay honest. And so what we talked about was not that it's, it, it's bad to feel guilty. What we talked about was, can we go to our Heavenly Father and have Him tell us, no, that, that guilt you're feeling about the house not being clean, that doesn't come from me. This guilt about, you know, whatever, I fill in the blank. This comes from me, so let's deal with it. Let's, let's, let's get it dealt with. And so um, we, we talked about the difference between godly sorrow and um, worldly sorrow. And uh, we said that there's, the remedy for guilt is confession, right? We just confess it. And sometimes we, ha- we have to not only confess to God, sometimes the guilt comes back. I confess this to God already. I confess this to God. And God's going, no, I want you to confess to your brother or sister that you harmed. 
I want you to make it right. And there's scriptures all through the Bible that have to do with that, of, of yes, we confess to God, but the scriptures tell us that we need to go and make it right. And so we, we, we talked about that. This, um, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about anxiety. All of us, for whatever reason and wh- whatever, whatever life stage you're in, you're probably dealing at some point or many points with a certain level of anxiety at uh, about a circumstance. And this, the, the problem with anxiety is it can come out of nowhere. Like if you, you're just sitting there minding your own business, not doing anything. No, you're not sinning. You're just at home and the male man or woman comes and drops off the mail and you're like, oh, the mail. This is fantastic. I love the mail. Maybe I got a note from a friend or you pick it up and you, you grab this letter and it says IRS. And you're like, wow, what does that stand for? And you open it up because you're, you have, again, you're, you're without sin, right? You open it up and there at the bottom is a number and the IRS says you owe that number and that's that feeling. You know that feeling you get where you're, you know, some people call it that your, your heart sinks or your stomach drops or something inside it goes crazy, right? That's anxiety. And we all have it at one point or another. All of a sudden you find out your life circumstances have changed. All of a sudden you find out something that, that you thought was in control you don't have control of, over anymore. And so before we get started kind of in the, in the sermon, I want to give you an idea that we're going to be touching on throughout the whole time. It's not your main point on the, on the bulletin, but it's just one of these things. God has called us to stewardship, not kingship. We are only responsible. God holds us only responsible to be good stewards with what he's entrusted to us whether that's raising your kids, whether that's the job you have, the money you have, we are not held responsible for the outcome. We are not in control ever. You will never be in control. You're like, wow, I'm controlling my spending. I'm controlling my this. I'm controlling my anger right now. I'm controlling. uh, You will never be in control. Your life is out of your control. And that's why we joked when we sat down. I just said to say to the person next to you, you you have no control. See, even when we think we're in control or things might be controlled, it doesn't mean we're controlling them. You cannot control any part of your life except your self-control, which God calls us to do. You can't get enough money to be in control. You can't be healthy enough to be in control. You're not smart enough to be in control. You're not pretty enough to be in control. And you're not creative enough to be in control. But there's something that happens in anxiety. The root of anxiety is the sense that we either need to be or there's an expectation that we should be in control. And so this this idea of, oh man, I I should fix that. I should, oh no, what am I going to do? I got to make this happen. Here's, here's how it um, comes uh, in my life, because I'm a controlling person, and I think in the future, and so I want what, what I dream about for the future to happen, and so I, I'll organize things to try and make that happen. And part of that, you, you have to do as a leader, right? Either your family or, or a business you're in or a classroom or whatever. Uh, but the other part is just the, I, I like things my way, and I want to I be in control. Well, that, that, that works out great for you until you have kids, 
Uh, and then you realize, wow, I think they might be in control. Because you can't control your kids. You can set up systems to try and control them. You can do, you can, you know, raise them in the way, you know, and then they won't depart from it, all that kind of stuff. But you can't control them to be something you want them to be. Either it's just not going to happen. Now, they might turn out great. Let me, let me show you how it works in, in my life. I have three children, and all three of them are radically different. Um, and if you have multiple kids, you realize that all your kids are different. And you can't, you can't just come up with one parenting thing that works for all three. You, you've got to figure out what their strengths are, wh- how they communicate, what their love language is, all this kind of stuff, and, and treat each kid um, that way. And so um, where this comes is like thrown in my face is usually at a, at a wonderful uh, meeting called the Parent Teacher Conference. I don't know if you've ever attended one of these delightful uh, delightful meetings, but uh, if you have kids, different kids, the meeting goes different with each type of kid. And so, uh, and I, I'm going to leave all the names out of it. You won't even be able to guess who's who because I, I just I'm amazing. But we have one child, uh, or two mostly. That uh, the parent teacher conference was like our our like stamp of approval by society that we're doing a pretty good job. Right? And so we'd walk into parent-teacher conference, kind of like, you know, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I'm the perfect parent. I know. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then, you know, and it's like, well, you know, that wonderful part of their personality takes after my wife, but that other one, that's me. And, you know, I mean, when you get perfection together, you get perfection is all I'm saying, right? And so and then you'd look at the other poor sap parents that are just like sobbing in the corner, you know, and you're just like, oh man, you know what? You know, we read the Bible. You should try it sometime. You know, you got all this stuff going and they're just like, oh man, I, I, I can't stand this, right? So everything's going great. Uh, and then you go to the, uh, the other child's parent-teacher conference and you, you realize early that that child is exactly you. <laughs> like, like the carbon copy. So you know what's coming. And so instead of chest out, it's shoulders forward. Like, and you're just like, oh, man. And the other thing is it's not going to be any different than the last parent-teacher conference. But this is the teacher's chance to get back at you. And so the way they do this in elementary school, not that this happened in elementary school, uh, but they, they put you in these tiny chairs, the chairs that the kids sit in, which is dreadfully humiliating because they're in their chair, you know, their chair's got all these knobs and stuff and they're like, you know, hovering and doing all this because it's a really expensive leather chair, high back, all this kind of stuff, you know, mission control, you know, they got all this thing, a cup holder. And then you get what looks like it came out of a Barbie playhouse, right? This tiny little chair, that's for you, that's for your wife. And so you sit in it and already you just feel stupid, like an ogre. And you're like, hey, how's it going? And, and so you're slumped over. And the meeting starts something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we had, we had some good things happen during the year. And you're like, oh, no. He's going to torture me. 
And they do this thing with a piece of paper where it's, it's like facing them and then they turn it with their fingers when they, they want you to see it and you look at it and you're just looking at the different things. And you're going, so this is what happened at, at one, two, two meetings ago. The teacher starts to tell me, hey, uh, in the sixth grade, if, if they don't get in the right track their seventh grade year, you just, you just want them in the right track. So essentially what happens in like the next semester and a half like kind of determines where they're going to end up. And I'm like, what? Like one path is like homeless and the other path is like doctor. And you're like, oh, how do I get them on the right path? Like, I don't want them to be homeless. I want them to be, do- like, it's like, it's like there's, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is death. And then there's this one land flowing with milk and honey and BMWs and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, the next semester and a half, this is it, dude. End of sixth grade. And then he says, it was a, it's different than when you were a kid. I'm like, oh, yes, it is. I couldn't even read until like my sophomore year of high school. <laughs> Whatever track can't read is, that's the track I was on. And so, so I'm, I'm like thinking to myself, wow, things have changed. So I leave that meeting thinking, we got to get them on the right track. We got to get them on the smart track, on the doctor track, not the homeless track. So I get home and I do exactly what any healthy, normal, intelligent parent does. I overreacted. And I started freaking out and, you know, you know, you start removing all these things and, you know, you'll never, you know, can I get on the computer? No, unless it's to look at math problems or whatever. And can we play Legos? No. And you'll build a homeless shelter for your homeless track with Legos. You've got to get on the right track. And so, so it's like freaking out. And I'm just, I had this sense of anxiety, this terrible weight of I've just, I'm destroying my family. And then the Lord says this to me. Now, I changed what he said because I thought about it all week and I had to make it. He said, essentially, I've called you to stewardship, not kingship. I've called you to take what I've given you and do the best you can. You are not responsible for how it ends up. You are a steward of the people and the resources that I have entrusted with you. Not how they end up. And I mean, it was like, ah. Oh. And I was like, yeah, plus, it's a lie. I mean, the teacher wasn't lying to me. The teacher truly loves my son and loves us. I'm not trying to, but you can get a long ways into whatever track and change your track. I mean, it's just, but the sense of I've got to control this, that's the kind of anxiety I think we all face in all sorts of different ways. And maybe you face it when all of a sudden the the board of directors gets up and says, we're going to have to do cutbacks. And you go, oh man, I better do something to show them that if they're cutting back, it's not going to be my back they're cutting. And we're just going to, I'm going to show them and I'm going to, and you try to manipulate and do all this kind of stuff. And the Lord says, listen, I didn't call you to be king of your life and to make sure it all works out. I called you to manage 
what I've entrusted to you. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some scripture. One, uh, three sections of scripture. One, where Jesus actually talks to somebody about their anxiety and what he has to say. And then he preached a sermon that included a bunch of stuff about anxiety and worry. And then Paul talked about it as well. So uh, I, I want to go over those things. Um, but, but I really want us to get kind of in the beginning this idea that he's called us to stewardship, not kingship, okay? Okay, so um, what's happened here, you know, this thing behind us, Martha was distracted. Um, let me just explain what happened. Jesus shows up into a village with uh, his disciples, and this woman named Martha, who was a sister of somebody named Mary and a sister of someone named Lazarus, and that's a different story, but these two sisters are kind of different people. And like I talked about with your kids, you know, one, you, you know, if you have more than one kid, you'll notice one cleans their room better than the other, but the other one can, you know, sew better. I don't know, whatever. Just, they're different, right? Well, and it's the same with this family. Martha is kind of keyed up a little bit. Martha kind of likes everything done the way it should be done. And quite frankly, when you invite someone over, it's nice to have the house clean and the, and the stuff right. So Martha, uh, in, they get invited, they come over, and Mary just goes right to Jesus. She's more relational. Like, again, you, you, we have this in our own families. One person's more relational, one person's more kind of pragmatic, whatever, but she's more relational, and she just comes down and sits next to Jesus and is like, hey, <laughs> Jesus starts teaching them, talking to them about the kingdom. Okay, so that's where we find, that's where we find uh, uh, Martha. It says, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Don't you see what's happening? Now, the reason why this story is so awesome is even though Martha's just preparing dinner or doing whatever, isn't this kind of in the back of our mind when our circumstances aren't turning out the way we want them to turn out? Isn't there something in us? If you're looking for a job, looking for a job, looking for a job or whatever, or you're trying to have kids or, or whatever the thing is that's causing the angst, isn't there something in the back of our minds that is like, Lord, don't, don't you care that I'm going through this? Can't you do something about this? And listen, it's so incredible to me how this applies to my life. Because look at what she was worried about, her preparations. She wanted everything to be just right. Let me just tell you, it's impossible for you to make it just right. You and I are not in control. We'll never be in control. God has given us resources to manage we don't control the outcome. So she says this, Lord, don't you, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And then she doesn't even let him answer. Then, like, of course you, you're concerned. You can see the, the, the injustice that's happening, right? Then tell her to help me. In other words, do something. How many times have I approached God in the same way. Don't you care that the church air conditioning is broken? Do something. Don't you care that, you know, like, like, come on. Like, what are you waiting for? It's hot in here, you know, like whatever it is. Now, listen, this is so great because Jesus, I don't know if Jesus was just about to say, no, I really don't care, Martha. I don't care that, that your preparations aren't working out. 
No, I really don't care that you're doing all the work. I don't know. It's just not on my radar. Like, we don't get to hear what Jesus was going to say. But here's what he says to Martha. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, if Jesus is calling your name twice, it ain't good, right? He calls my name three times. John, John, John. Oh, yes, Lord. I, your servant is listening. Right? Lord, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. This Greek word bothered means you're, you're, making, a, uh, um, uh, you're making a bunch of noise about it. You're, dis- you're making a disturbance. You're worried and you're making a disturbance about so many things. And then he says this, and this is, this is kind of his point to us. But only one thing is necessary. You're not responsible for the outcome, Mary. If, it, if the dinner doesn't go well and the, the whatever, the pita bread or whatever they eat is burnt or whatever, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's only one thing. Now, in this section of scripture, Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but he gives us a hint. He says, for Mary has chosen the good part. Now listen to this, this is so cool. Which shall not be taken away from her. See, okay, I want you to think to that that situation that's causing you anxiety. Maybe it is one of your kids. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a relationship of some sort. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's, you, you, you're not where you thought you'd be in life. What does God have for you? What one thing does he want you focusing on instead of that? If you went to Jesus and you said, Jesus, don't you care that they're laying people off at my job? And he says, listen, there's only one thing you have to be worried about. Now, again, in this section of scripture, we just get kind of a hint at what it is. But in the next section of scripture, Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters long. It's found in Matthew, starting in chapter five, and then it goes through six and seven. And Jesus just nails this sermon. I mean, he's got the best points. Well, he's Jesus, right? He's got the Beatitudes in there. He teaches them how to pray the Lord's Prayer. He kind of goes through all these different things. And then he gets to this one part about just life. And he touches on the thing that brings probably is the most the issue that probably brings us the most anxiety. If, if, if I took a poll in here and I said, I want you to rate issues in order of the thing that brings you the most uh, anxiety. The number one thing would be money or something money related. Either you've you got your, you know, uh, your retirement plan or something or debt or whatever or, or, or the next job because you want that other money or whatever. Money is the number one thing that causes worry and anxiety. And so Jesus talks about this and he talks about money and he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust come and mess it all up. Don't do that. And then he starts talking. He starts asking a series of questions. And I don't have them uh, behind me, but I I want you to start thinking about these questions because this is going to get us to the one thing. He starts talking about birds of the air. And he says, they don't toil. They don't have a barns that they put all their food in. I mean, some of them put stuff in a nest or whatever, but they don't don't do that. And yet they're, they're doing fine. 
And he says, besides, isn't life more important than food? I'm like, not really. <laughs> no, right? Isn't life more important than food? Aren't there things that are deep? I mean, could, you could go a few days without food. You could, you could eat just rice for the rest of your life and whatever. Your life is combined. It's more than that. And so that's, that's the first question. Like, what are you stressed out about? Isn't your life worth more than what you're stressed out about? And then he says, isn't the body worth more than clothing? So he's kind of getting to the idea of what are you so worried about? That's the first question. What are you so worried about? Follow it through. Oh, I'm worried about, I'm worried about providing for my family. Really? Is that really what you're worried about? Because you could make the argument that you could probably provide for your family at half of what you make, even if you don't make hardly anything. Like, what is it? What, what is it? That's the first question. And then he asks this, aren't you more valuable than the birds of the air? In other words, do you think God values you? Does your heavenly father know where you're at? Does he know the situations you're going through? Really, think about that. Are, are, you, are you more valuable? Yeah. But here's what happens to me. In my mind, I got that down. Yes, yes, I'm more valuable than the sparrows. Thanks, all right? But, I mean, okay. But I'm afraid you're not going to take care of the situation. I'm like Martha. Don't, don't you? In, in other words, here's the, here's the lie I get into that keeps my anxiety around. I think if the situation changes, I'm better off. And that's not what God wants for me at all. And then he asks this question. Does worrying even work? <laughs> he says, which of you by worrying can add a single cubit to your lifespan? Is worrying going to make you richer? Is it going to make you smarter? Is it going to make you more attractive? Is it going to make you more creative? What is worrying going to help you at all? And then he asks the final question. If he clothes, clothes them... Will he not clothe you? And again, in my mind, I'm like, I know, I know he's going to take care of me. I believe it. But then I spend a lot of time trying to organize, trying to be king of my life instead of just being a good steward with what he's entrusted to me. Because here's the thing, if we go back to the, my one kid who's on the one, you know, you know, could possibly be on one track, I got another kid who's on the other track. You know, it doesn't matter what school they, they apply for, they're going to get in. Does that cause me less anxiety? No, because I got to pay for it. Like all these schools, I can't pay for these schools, so there's that anxiety. See, it doesn't matter what track Solving the problem is not changing the circumstances. Solving the problem is letting God be king and let me be steward. So that I can sit back and answer these questions with my heavenly father and I can go, you do love me. I know that. And you do provide for me. I know that. And it's not working out the way I had planned. I know that but I'm going to rest in you. Watch what Jesus says after he asks, asks all these questions. 
He says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And here's the word of the Lord to all of us in this room. And your heavenly father knows you need them. He knows. Now we go back to Mary's question. Well, if he knows, how come he ain't doing anything about it? That's the wrong question. He might be. Let me ask you this. This is what's happened to me in the past. I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and fasted and prayed and had other people pray. And I tore my clothes, rolled around in dirt, did everything you could do to have something happen in my life. And then a year later, it doesn't happen, but I'm looking back on. I am so glad that didn't happen. Have you ever had that happen to you? You're just like, oh man, oh, I want that job. I want that job. For, for, for me, one of the things was we wanted this account at our job so bad and I was flying places and we were creating presentations and I, the job was going to make us so much money and I wouldn't be talking about who, you go to any college, yay. I mean, it was going to solve all my problems. And so I prayed and I was in a hotel room. I was praying in the hotel room. I was flying back on the plane. They're fastening your seatbelts. Oh, Lord. You know, praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. We didn't get the account. Oh, man, right? A year later, I looked back and I was like, God, thank you. Okay. The, that company was a wreck. The whole program, the company that got that program was a wreck. The whole thing, I would have been working. I, I, I don't know. Probably, I probably still, I've never sleep. I would have just been working, 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 working. God spared me. Does he know? Yes, he knows. Yeah, but if this doesn't, he knows. Your heavenly father knows you need these. And here's the one thing. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. There's the one thing Mary's looking after. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. How do we do that? How do you find the kingdom of God in, when, when life is so uncertain? If we, if we have no control, if the pink slip comes and we're like, this, this is my dream job. I was a year away from retirement. Everything was perfect. And the pink slip comes and we go, oh, how in that moment do we seek first his kingdom? Well, let me just show you something real quick because Jesus wraps this up with, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will, wor- tomorrow will worry about itself. And then he says this, this is so true. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, you want to get on the right track? There's trouble on that track. You think you've solved this problem? You think you're, I eat as healthy as I possibly can. There's problems down that road. There's problems to everything. We don't have control. God has not called us to kingship. He's not called us to be in control. He called, he's called us to be a good steward. Now watch what Paul does. So Paul takes jo- Mary's, uh, Martha's story there and Jesus is teaching he he says it uh he says it this way he says rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice now watch what he does let your gentle spirit be known to all men the Lord is near this is the beginning of an understanding of the kingdom of God the Lord is near do you know he's here 
right now in this room? Do you know that he knows what you're thinking? Do you know that he loves you? Probably more than you love yourself. Do you know that he knows what's best for you? Do you know that he knows the outcome of every decision you make and how it's going to end up? Do you know he knows the outcome of everybody else's decision, how it impacts you and how it's going to end up? And yet Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I rejoice. Allow this to, to bring a calmness and a gentleness to your spirit. The Lord is near. And then he says this, this, this incredible statement. Be anxious for nothing. Now, last week I told you I was talking about these bricks and I brought them back again just as another thing. And maybe next week I'll bring the bricks back for some other totally different thing because they're heavy and I'm not taking them home. So uh, they're just going to be here. But we, we talked about this being bad guilt. But today it's be anxious for nothing. This is the one extreme. Don't be anxious for anything. Not one thing. Well, what about my retirement? No. What about I got this thing in my foot and I know. Uh, but my family's had heart disease. Uh, no. But my kids, no. But I, no. Ah. Right? Nothing. Not, but we might go, what if, oh, what if that person gets in the White No. That person gets in the White House? Too bad for you, okay? Nothing. Anxious for nothing. But the economy. Okay, nothing. But in everything... <laughs> everything, let your request be made known to God. Nothing, everything. You know what that means? Any part in between here is disobedience. You only get two options. Only two ways you can be obedient. Either being anxious for nothing, (laughs) but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's, Here's the point that I have for you this morning. Every anxious thought is a call to prayer. Every anxious thought is a call to prayer. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, I got this thing growing on my back. Call to prayer. Yeah, but if I, you know, you get my point, all right? I know, sorry, it was a graphic description. I hope I don't have something growing on my back, right? Be anxious for nothing, but everything, when you get it, oh man, but what am I gonna do about, go to your heavenly father, Every anxious thought is a call to prayer. My, my, a friend of mine is a, a missionary in Indonesia and, um, uh, and is a missionary primarily to the Muslim community. And they, in his particular region, they have five calls to prayer during the day. And people will stop whatever they're doing. They'll stop their car in the middle of the street and pull out their prayer rug and put it down and, and pray. When, no matter, when that sound goes off, listen, listen, you might have a hundred calls to prayer this week. Now, don't stop your car and get outside if I'm following you. Uh, but, but every anxious thought, that thing about like, wow, I really don't. It's a call to prayer. It's a call to your heavenly father. Be anxious for nothing. But those little things, oh, I, I'm really trying. You know why? You know why? Because in the process of praying, God can speak to you about the situation. Let's say your problem is finances. 
I want more money. You can run around in this area all you want, but you're not in control. And you can try to manipulate things, and you could talk to your boss, and you'd be like, hey, nice shirt. And yeah, okay, good. I, got, I might get a raise. This is fantastic. You listen to everything they say, and you're looking for a hint. Are they going to give out bonuses or whatever? You can do all that if, if you want. But the Lord might be going, you're horrible with your finances. And that's what we need to work on. I called you to be a good steward with what I've entrusted to you. You say, oh man, my relationships, oh, I, 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 just, I, just want, I just want a husband, I just want a wife, I just want a, uh, kids, I just want this or that and this, and God, please, can you go over here? And God might go, you're terrible with relationships. I would never do that to another human being until you can figure out how to fix you. But if we don't, if we just sit in this area, working and working and working and working, listen to this, this is so key. We're going to miss out on what our Heavenly Father wants to tell us in the first place. Now, your Heavenly Father might say, you're fantastic with your finances. You're doing great. There's no problem. I just don't want you to be anxious about it. One of the things you have a problem with is you need to learn how to trust me. And so, yeah, things are tight right now. And I want them to be. I'm working something in you. I want you to get past this, that you think that money's going to solve your problem. You see what I'm saying? Every anxious thought, no matter what it is, just take it to your Heavenly Father. There's, There's no reason why we wouldn't do that. And then let Him tell you what your next step is because you're not called to be the king of your life. You're called to be a good steward with what He's given you. Now watch what happens when we do that. Every anxious thought is a call to prayer. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, isn't that what we all want? Whether my kid goes to college or not or whatever, don't I just want to know that my Heavenly Father is in control and that I've done the best I can? That's what we all want. When we begin to get in this habit of this call to prayer of, oh man, well, how is this going to end up? And we can go to our Heavenly Father. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, it makes no sense. The reason it makes no sense is because oftentimes it happens when the situation doesn't change. It doesn't make any sense at all. 